Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Film Club Podcast, where every month we pick a genre, an actor, a topic to explore. And in Anime Month, we're talking about... Paprika. Not the spice, not the seasoning, but the movie. Yes, uh, Paprika, the 2006 psychological horror anime film directed by Satoshi Kon. And we've talked about him before when we talked about his first feature film, Perfect Blue. That's right. And I ended up actually really liking Perfect Blue and wasn't sure what to expect coming into Paprika. Yeah. What did you expect coming into Paprika? Uh, I saw the trailer and I was like, okay, this is very different from what Perfect Blue is going to be. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you see the parade and then you see, you know, uh, Paprika as a... Basically, uh, a pixie. The manic pixie dream girl trope. So it's just like, yeah, I have absolutely no idea what I'm getting myself into. And once I got into it, I'm like, still wasn't what I was expecting. <laughs> yeah, this movie is a is a mind bender. And I, I don't want to call it like, oh, dude, this is just a mind fuck for 90 minutes. Even though it, it's kind of what it is. But it's a really good... Um, kind of artsy, like, psychological drama when you get to the heart of it. It's a trip. It's a definitely a trip, yeah. Um, but where do you want to want to get started? You want to talk about uh, the movie a little bit? You want to talk about uh, the director? The, you want to talk about anime? Well, I think we should probably talk about the director, because this is by Satoshi Kon, and this was his last full feature film before he passed away in 2010. Yeah, which is kind of fascinating, because we were talking about how long it took um, Miyazaki to get onto Howl's Moving Castle after Spirited Away. Yeah. And that was like a three-year turnaround. Mm-hmm. Now, Satoshi Kon, I don't know... I'll, I don't know everything about the man, mm-hmm. but he only made four feature films, and there were two, like, mini-series he, he directed, like, yeah. uh, t- television shows. And it just strikes me as unusual he w- wasn't able to make more films in the time he was working. Because I think Perfect Blue came out in 96, 94? Somewhere in there, yeah. It came out in like the mid-90s. And so over a 10-year period, he only makes like four films. And after Paprika, he had four years before he um, he passed. And I know he was working on another film called The Dream Machine. Yeah, and I think he, he passed when there was only about 40% of the film done. So, uh, but... Yeah, I, I think his movies have a lot that need to be animated in them. I yes. mean, let alone the parade scene that we see. There is just so much to so see. So many visual elements to it. Also, the opening sequence of Paprika with all the um, with all the editing and the cuts and how it all smooths together and how you can tell there's not only a master animator but a master director involved in in that sequence is so fascinating yeah and i think that's why he didn't have that many films under his belt because Mm. it's just a lot of work to get a single scene done and it's the same with miyazaki there is so much that goes in and he you know hand paints a lot of the scenes Mm -hmm. so it's like it takes a lot of time to get to the final point that we get in this film where i was pausing it just to see Just to explore the frames of this movie. Yeah, because I was just like, there's so much to see and it's moving so fast. And it's like, I'm sitting there with it paused and I'm like, I'm discovering new things. Like, oh, wow, it's the, like the frog band. And then we have the dolls and then we have robots and then we have the actual people on the street that are watching this. Oh God. And when they're in the movie theater and they're pouring in through the background and you're just like watching all these characters move around and how they move is Mm -hmm. fascinating because 
it's like it's such a dream world dream logic going on it almost reminds me of like a um it almost reminds me of like kind of a david lynch vibe to it where everything is is kind of makes perfect sense only if you're a little bit crazy i mean for me it was kind of reminding me of uh roger rabbit when eddie goes into like the Toon, toontown into toontown and there's just so many different characters and we're seeing all these characters that we've watched and loved and they have their own personality and their own movements and it's like oh my god it's like almost they're real and that's how it feels in this movie because and, everything... and it's almost too much to take in at yeah once. it's overwhelming and you see that on the characters' faces where it's like, okay, the two worlds are kind of blending together. Yeah, and I just wanted to point out that, um, like, it's Satoshi Kon, he's a director that I th- was taken way too soon. Yeah. I think this guy had such talent in, in film. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating because a lot of his movies deal with, like, um, like psychology, questioning reality, and mm-hmm. things like that. But this one was based on a on a novel of the same name. And it's really interesting to me because this movie still feels so uniquely him, even though it's based on a on an existing work. Um, because I know the main protagonist in the movie, or one of them, uh, the detective. Yeah. He's original to the film. He's not in the novel at all. Oh, okay. Which also makes me feel kind of weird because his story arc in the movie oddly reflects Satoshi Kone and his mm-hmm. realization of what of you know his early early death and and all these things it's a very this is a very oddly personal film if you look at it in that context and the fact that we get um the detective as a filmmaker and he's being interviewed by Paprika yeah and it's like okay so you know he's taking again from his life of okay, this is what it's like to be a director or writer mm-hmm. and going through the interview process of why I do things the way I do them, uh, what makes me excited about filmmaking. And, and the character of the detective, I'm, I'm sorry, I'll give you guys the character's actual name. Fuck, why is it so hard to find? Uh, detective Konakawa? Thank you, Detective Konakawa, sorry. This is impossible for me to actually find these things written down. So yeah, so Detective Konakawa, he is almost like a conduit for Satoshi Kon because he wanted to be a filmmaker in college, but then his friend died, and then he decided not to... um, He wasn't able to finish his film. Yeah. So he became a police officer, liked the role he played in the movie, and then it's a whole thing where... All these subconscious things that happened to his past haunt him in the future, and he doesn't remember why because they're so repressed memory. Yeah. And that's like a whole deal here. You know, Satoshi Kon, he's a guy who talks a lot about memory and repression and all these other things. And it's a very, it, it, he's just a very interesting filmmaker, and I really enjoy his movies. Yeah, and I think it was kind of interesting, you know, once we finally saw why uh, the detective was so against the movie theater. And it's pretty good, like, you know, well, you're dreaming about basically movie plots, but you're so anti-movie, and we kind of see it break down and why he's so against it. Um, I don't know if you picked it up, but when we saw, like, clips of his own movie, mm-hmm. I was thinking Point Break. A little bit, yeah. Um, like, you have the cop and the best friend, and it goes back, you know, from Point Break to Hot Fuzz, where, you know... Rolls on his back and Danny's just shooting into there, ah, you know, because he just loves his friend so much he can't, you know, 
he can't bring him to justice. And now talking about that, like not only like oh yeah, it reminds me of like you know mo- uh, like action movie detective plot stuff mm-hmm. like that. What this movie reminds me of the most, and this is a little bit on the influence of the movie. This movie reminds me so much of Inception, and I know this is not a a new take, but considering that Inception took from this movie a lot from this movie, yeah. like the the basically the whole baseline premise of Inception and Paprika are like the exact same. Yeah. You know, oh, we have this machine that lets us enter into people's dreams and we can manipulate their dreaming world and it will affect their reality. And it is it is fascinating how Christopher Nolan did not get sued. Yeah. Because <laughs> there are whole, like, visual sequences that are straight lifted. I mean, there's a difference from people taking, you know, the Akira slide and using that with their characters. And it's like, if you know, you know when you see it. Yeah, versus... and it's also a single, like, image that just looks fucking cool. Yeah, of course. But then you get this movie where it's just like, oh, yeah, this is the animated version of Inception. That's weird. Is and, there a correlation? And then you see it, and then it's like when um, uh, Elliot Page taps the thing and, like, the glass breaks mm-hmm. in Inception, and then you're like, oh, that's a cool shot. I like that. And you watch Paprika, and you're like, there wait goes a Paprika, minute. you know, hitting basically just air, and then it breaks. And, and it's, it's the glass and the exact mm-hmm. same shot. I think it's almost the exact same framing. Yeah. And it's like, it's never been acknowledged that that's where he got it from, but I'm like, that. Somebody owes somebody some fucking money. I mean, he could have, you know, Nolan could have gone to uh, Satoshi Kon's people and been like, hey, I want to make like a live uh, an adaptation, live of adaptation, it. you know, well, of this movie. It's funny you say that because they've been trying to get a live adaptation done of Paprika for years, hmm. but basically it's been radio silence for forever. Yeah. It's a production hellscape. It's the same thing when um, people ask for the live-action version of Cowboy Bebop, mm-hmm. not realizing what, what that actually entailed. Oh my god, Netflix, why have you wronged me so? But that was in production hell for, like, 20 years. Yeah. You know, people asked for it, they wanted it, it was a popular cult thing, but, you know, I think it would loyal like, forever. I think it would be, like, people asking for, like, a live a- uh, adaptation of, of Miyazaki film. It just, it wouldn't work. It would look weird, like the tone would be weird. And there's also certain things about animation that doesn't translate to live action. I mean, there is a thing where Spirited Away has been turned into like a stage play. Yeah. And they've turned like the, like Haku and the other creatures into like these live action puppets. And it's like, okay, you know, now that looks really cool. That looks like something that I would go pay and see. Because it just looks so accurate to the story. Yeah. But once you get it into, like, a movie, it's not going to have the same warmth and depth as some of these animated films have on their own. And that gets in, that gets another thing. Sorry we're getting to a tangent. But it, it kind of relates to this. Because it's the artifice of it. Mm-hmm. Because in, like, theater, like, there's an artifice to everything. Because we can all tell it's a stage and it is actors and the props are, you know, paper mache or whatever mm-hmm. puppetry. And it's the thing where you are giving into the imagination of the environment. Mm-hmm. You know, you are creating the world with the actors and it's a, like a communal experience, right? Yeah, and it's also these actors that have this great talent that they could, you know, just basically bear their soul to this, you know, select audience and you feel connected. Yeah, and that that's the talent of being an actor. Yeah. But the thing is with film, 
and it's kind of like with with dreams and, and the mm-hmm. stuff that's going on here because in like the film world we're seeing a singular vision mm-hmm. and interpretation of this world and us as the audience is observing it yeah and because of that we there's there's an artifice to it because it's like you watch a movie you know everything's you know fake you know it's all yeah. CGI or real movie magic what's whatever. in the frame is put there for a reason yeah nothing, nothing yeah. extra and and all that stuff but it also really taints it because you are seeing a singular vision and you're not creating it communally as you would like a stage interpretation. And this is a whole thing where, you know, yeah, anime is, you know, film, like the film is made in an uh, animated style. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, this is a singular vision, Stoichkin's vision of the film and adapting it to live action would lose a lot to it because Mm -hmm. anime just has different tropes. Like it just works differently. You can't cut the same in live action as you can in anime. Like, the visual language just doesn't transfer. I mean, the sequence alone with the guys jumping off the building. Oh, that's that shit's cool as fuck. It is, but it's like, you imagine the work that that would take, you know, actual stunt, you know, coordinators and people and dancers to move in that way where they're all, you know, jumping off the roof in this, you know, really smooth movement. And it's all like, the CGI you that would go into it and... Exactly. And all so, the money that would have to be placed into it. Versus, you know, where they could hand draw it and, you know, perfect it and really get it to where you want it to just meld into kind of like an ocean wave that that's kind of how they fall off the building. Yeah. A wave or, you know, just L- wind going by. on the wind. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, because Satoshi Kone, he wanted to be a live action film director. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to be an anime director, but when he was getting stuff together for Perfect Blue, his first film... He realized it it would just be cheaper to do all this stuff by drawing it, so mm. I'll just do that. Again, I'm wondering, like, the universe we would be in if Satoshi Kon made, like, live-action films yeah. instead of animated films. And, like, what weird, like, cinematic landscape would we be in? Because anim- anime has traditionally just been, like, kind of relegated to, like, we'll give the Oscar to Miyazaki for his things, but or, or like, Pixar or Disney. Mm-hmm. So, like, they're... They're like you're not getting an Oscar for this, but if Satoshi Kon, if, if like this movie came out as like a live action film, like eh, this could win like festival awards and stuff for like you know best best film. I mean, I know this premiered at the Venice International Film Festival. Yeah, and I think that it would probably do well as a live animated movie, but or sorry, a live, a live a- action movie. live action movie. But it's just there's so much in this movie that it's like. How the fuck would you do that? You know, unlimited budget, you know, teams and teams of people that can animate and do CGI work versus people that are very incredibly talented in drawing and animating. It makes sense to have it animated. Oh, yeah. Now, now let's actually talk about the anime. Let's actually talk about the film. So, Paprika, how would you describe this in, in your elevator pitch? Inception, but animated. <laughs> Just make it easy. Yes, with a, a good song in it. I don't know what the name of the song is. It, it like, uh, when she's falling, free-falling through the sky before oh. she lands on the cloud, that song, I'm like, okay, I'm like, that's kind of a banger. All right. There, there is some banger stuff in this movie. I This movie, okay, I'm be, be real with me. The plot doesn't matter, right? No, because you kind of fall into this movie the way you fall asleep. 
So it's like, it feels like you're supposed to feel like you're in a dream while watching this movie. Yeah, and and I and I say the the plot doesn't matter because this movie's just an excuse to put cool shit on screen for 90 minutes. And a parade that just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger as the movie goes on. Yes, and there are so many sequences in this movie that are not only just visually stunning, but incredibly well-paced and incredibly well-executed. Well, what's your favorite single sequence in this movie? Because I have mine. Oh. And it is, and it is like the the my favorite bait and switch I think I've seen in a long time. It's gonna be difficult. I mean, it's so fresh for me. I just finished watching it a few hours ago, so yes, yes. So it's very, very fresh today. But um, let's see. There's so much to choose, but I think it has to be the theater scenes. Oh yeah, all the theater sequences. Mm-hmm. Just seeing him, you know, being very adverse to not going in. To finally him ripping through the screen to get to her. And I was just like, okay. I'm like, that, that kind of hits, you know, a little bit. Hit a little close to home. <laughs> it's like, ooh, you know, I, I've stayed away from the movies, but I, I love her so much that I will not even think about it and I'll run through there. Booze, booze a sucker for a good love story. Exactly. Even though he doesn't <laughs> get the girl. Ah, oh, you know, he gets the dream. He gets the dream girl. But, um, yeah, I, I like that. That's I like that answer. That's a good answer. Thank you. But no, my my favorite is when they go to the apartment for the first time because they're looking for the the DC mini, the dream machine, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. That's some entrance into like whatever, and she finds the the ladder in the apartment, and she's like goes down the ladder, and then she's suddenly in like an abandoned um, carnival. Yeah, and she's like going around, and then she's like, oh, there's somebody on top of the Ferris wheel, and as she's going to hop over the 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 railing. Mm-hmm. The whole, like, frame. Like, she jumps in and it's like a screen. Yeah. And it falls through and then it, she realizes she's not jumping off, or she's not jumping over a railing. She's jumping off a balcony. Yeah. On, like, a 15th floor and somebody catches her and I'm like, oh my god. That's, <laughs> that imparted to me how dangerous this shit is and also how creative this movie yeah. is going to be. And also, that is it's just such a well-executed, suspenseful moment. Well, I mean, it also plays on the senses, too, where you could be having such a vivid dream that you don't know you're asleep. Yeah. It, it, it takes, you know, one little thing for you to be like, oh, okay, I'm actually sleeping right now. This isn't happening. I don't know if you're like that when you dream. Oh, oh all the time. I'm one, I'm one of the lucky few people that can have, like, lucid dreams um, pretty consistently you know because like i i I don't know why but i'm like very acute at figuring out when i'm like dreaming and when i'm like awake yeah i Uh, mean and and as soon as i figure out i can dream or i'm dreaming i start flying around and doing cool shit yeah i mean i i can't do that in mind but uh recently i was in my dreaming but i was in my grandmother's house um and i didn't know i was asleep because this dream was so strong and i remember at one point i grabbed a the railing on the stairs and it felt like I was holding on to a railing. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, this is kind of weird. I'm back at the house. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I saw my uncle in a child form, you know, from pictures that I've seen. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm asleep. This isn't happening. Something's weird. Something's weird, but it's like, okay. But it's like, I could, you know, touch my surroundings. And I'm like, wow. I'm like, I'm back. But I'm not questioning it. And that's how this movie is, where after a while, nobody knows if they're awake or they're asleep. That yeah, and that's like the beauty and also the creativity of the movie, because that it's a very common thing with everybody. Everyone's had a dream that's so vivid they think it's real, mm-hmm. and experiencing that, and then the movie is saying, 
Okay, imagine you're having, everyone is having dreams that are so vivid they think they're real. And then imagine somebody else can control them. And, and the chaos that can ensue. And not only that, they're manipulating you all to have the same dream. Then it's like this joint chaotic world and everything's merging together. And then it's like, well, if you can control each other's dreams, how much more can you control? Can you, how much more can you pass into somebody else in this dream world? And it's, it's so cool. And as the movie goes on, it, it, is it just me or were you losing track as to when the fuck they were awake? Oh, definitely. Because I mean, it's like, well, yeah, you know, the dream could make you think, yeah, sure, you know, they're at work the next day, we're, we're moving on to the next series of problems. And it's like, well, no, maybe we're still in the same, you know, point of time. But the dream wants us to think that we're just moving in succession with every day. And that's what they're, you know, doing in the movie where it's like, you know, she's still laying on the table asleep. And now the chief is asleep too. So it's like, well, what happens if she goes, slips into a coma? He slips into a coma. Is the world just going to eat itself? And then you're thinking, and it's like, wait a minute, are they asleep? Like, who's actually asleep? Is this another dream? Mm-hmm. And it's and it, it, the movie is so good because it makes you question everything you're seeing. Is like, is this real? Is this what is this what's actually going on? And it's the same thing with like like any film, right? Yeah. You know, you're watching and it's like, okay, how much of this is like, you know, CGI bullshit or how mm-hmm. much of this is like real actors or how much of this is like, like actually going on and how much of this is like the artifice. And it's, it's a very interesting and intelligent film. I really dig this movie. Yeah. I enjoyed it a lot more than I expected I was going to because just seeing the trailer from this and Perfect Blue it's two very different worlds. It, it, it's very different experiences. So I wasn't sure. I'm like, okay, you know, light kind of bubbly, you know, the parade in the street. I'm like, is that going to do it for me versus this, you know, psychological crime drama? And I was like, oh no. I'm like, this was really, really cool. Yeah. And, ah, God, I, I really want to do more uh, Satoshi Kon movies. <laughs> I mean, I, we only got to get through two more. We got through the whole discography. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, where do you want to j- jump to now? I know we, I know we didn't like do a plot drop of this movie, but honestly, it's kind of hard to do a plot drop for this movie. I would just recommend people watch it. Yeah, watch it, experience it. I mean, I watched it without the phone because there's just so much going on. It, it does you have to take, pay attention. It does take a lot to get you off your phone to watch the movies. It does, and it was hard because you were texting me while I was watching the movie. But, it happens. It happens. But uh, let's see. Um, <laughs> to Kill a Mockingbird couldn't do this to her, but Paprika could. Because I've watched To Kill a Mockingbird a bunch of times. I know what happens. I've read the book. <laughs> ooh, so, ooh, you can read. How fancy. <laughs> Be jealous. But I think we should probably talk about our lead character, Paprika. Yeah, and paprika's weird because she is the definition of the manic pixie dream girl yeah and what paprika is is the alter ego of dr chiva Mm -hmm. and she is both the and she's the both the exact opposite of of chiva of dr shiva but also all of her like inner being all at the same time it's really weird yeah that's why i was kind of like okay i'm like is Paprika just jumping into her body? Because we see that whole sequence of her, you know, jumping into posters and different things. And so when she's wh- running places, Paprika just kind of appears in reflections and they kind of interact with each other. Yeah, so it's like, so is, you know, Paprika just hitching a ride to her? Or are they actually the same person? And that's when we see 
they are the same person, but they're basically two entities. Yeah, and it, it makes me think a lot. Because Dr. Shiba is very, like, reserved and, like... No emotion. No emotion. Very cold, you know, intellectual. And Paprika is this really, like, bubbly, really... Like, the exact opposite. Yeah. You know, fun. She's, like, really warm and kind and all these other things. And it's, like, that's exactly the kind of person you would put into an environment, uh, like a dream, right? Mm -hmm. Where... Because the whole point of these dream machines is for um like therapy right yeah for these people to to impart their subconscious mind to somebody else yeah and paprika is you know the most comforting thing that these you know middle-aged men can come up with to interact with and dr shiba is a very it's very interesting yeah i know i just kind of rambled there i know and it's it's interesting to see you know the reason that this machine was created was so that this best friend could basically jump into his best friend's dreams and see what's bothering him or what he wants to do with his life and how to kind of help him achieve what he's dreaming about. And mm -hmm. it's just like, okay, you know, so it's like, it's a simplistic idea for this creation where you know that if it gets into the wrong hands, it could cause all out chaos, which it does. Yeah. Like almost immediately. And it's, and that's the whole thing in the movie, right? It's, a, it's basically a mystery you know who stole the dream machine mm -hmm. but the main conceit of the movie who stole the dream machine is the least interesting part of the whole movie yeah because you're more interested in why is the why is the detective like so traumatized what's his dream mean mm -hmm. what like how is paprika able to navigate these worlds and like what really is paprika is she a split personality of dr shiba is she like the repressed super ego is she a symbol of all the things dr shiba wishes she could be and is unable to in reality yeah because you see it in the beginning of the movie they're blaming paprika for stealing this dream machine basically and it's like once you see her as a character it's like well why would she steal it she's basically you know an entity in dreams and that's the other thing they're accusing paprika of stealing it not dr shiba Paprika doesn't exist. Paprika is a thing that exists only in the dream form. Yeah. But they never accuse Dr. Shiba. Just Paprika. Mm -hmm. So is there an implication that Paprika is is another entity that has that Dr. Shiba cre like created and it's just housing there? Well, I mean, we see it at the end of the movie where the two separate. And it's just, you know, Dr. Shiba telling her, like, well, what are you doing here? And she's like, don't we have bigger problems to worry about? Let's, you know... Think about it later. So you see the two together. So it's basically like having an imaginary friend come to life. Yeah. And that's that's the, the whole thing. It's how your imagination manifests. Yeah. And most people's mani manifestations of their imagination is within their dreams. It's the most raw form of your imagination. It's just the weird subconscious things that your brain comes up with when you sleep. Yeah, and that's why when uh, Dr. Shiva gets so upset that, um, I can't think of the creator's name, when he gets stuck in the robot form. Oh, yeah, that's uh, Dr. Uh, Tokita? Yeah, I think so, that was him. Um, you know, they're trying to flee to figure out a way to, to stop the, the chairman. And he's she's like, no, you know, I've got to save him. And she's getting upset, and, you know, Paprika's like, why you know just say the word say you know why and she doesn't say it but she runs to help him and she's kind of like she's finally letting her inner self out her true form out so mm. it's like paprika's been on the other side kind of pushing her you know 
hey, stop being this cold person on the outside and actually let people see who you are on the inside. This is just such a nice movie. Yeah. Even though it ends with a giant, like, attack on Titan naked body, like, monster fight in Tokyo. Yeah, that was weird. See, that's the thing. Every time I think about this movie, I'm like, man, this is a deep, cool movie. And then I'm like, man, but that ending is just a Godzilla fight. Man, that this movie's kind of fucking awesome. I mean, it's weird when they have her on the table, you know, basically half paprika, half butterfly. Oh, and they and the guy shoves his hand inside of her and then, like, rips her open like a Reese's, or rips her open like a candy wrapper. And then it's like Dr. Chiba's inside, and it's like really weird imagery. I mean, it's even the same with the parade when they're walking and you see the girls, like, in the Sailor Moon tops. And they lift up their skirts and the guys are basically camera phone heads and they're taking pictures. I'm like... They slide into those DMs so like, hard. what is happening? Yes, it, that there is There are so thing. many weird, you know, kind of like, what? There, it's all these visual things that are like, you can read so much into that. Like, that specifically. Yeah. You can read so much into all these visual elements, all these, like, visual cues, all the language of the film. It's... Mm. This is a very dense movie. I really like this movie. Yeah, and I mean, getting the grand reveal that the the chairman of the company is the reason why... The DC Mini is stolen because he's um, uh, um, paralyzed. Like, he's stuck in a wheelchair and he's like, and he's an older guy and he's like, I know my time has come, but in the the dreams, I could be anything. Yeah. And with the DC Mini, I can be anyone. And he's looking to basically go completely into the dream world and inhabit another person Mm -hmm. like you know the vulcan mind meld or whatever and it's it's such a like you know hand wavy like yeah we're a we're a sci-fi movie you know oh it's a a big bad evil guy in the wheelchair he did it obviously and it's it's not i'm not saying it's a cop-out but it's like oh yeah of course that's what happened i mean he's bald he's in the wheelchair kind of looks like he's uh... not dr xavier Kind of look like it. He's not Dr. X. Although right? I will give or it... Professor X. I will give it to him. He did have a cool office. He did have a cool office. All the plants, the books. I mean, even where he's sitting at his desk and he's got the books behind him and just the shading, the dappled lighting over his face with mm-hmm. the plants. I'm like, that's beautiful. And this is animated. It's, it's through that. It's like, it's not, you know, someone set up the lighting to make it look this way. It's like, they did that in, you know, an art form. I'm like, that is so cool. They're like, they... they drew that they drew that with a pencil oh but yeah um any anything else boo i mean i feel like we could go on and on about this movie because there's just so much there is a lot of this the creepy doll there's a lot of creepy dolls in this movie but the main one the one that you know that creepy doll that creepy doll the one that is sitting in the theme park the one that She's oh, talking on the float. It's, and, it's unnerving. And then, you know, she There's shows up un- bigger than the building. There is some horror movie shit going on in this movie. Yeah. Oh. Are you okay? Yeah, I just really like this movie. <laughs> All right, everybody. But yeah, so that is Paprika. That is. And that means since this week's over... We're going on to next week. We're going on to next week, which is our final week of anime month. Yes, yes. And... This month, we've talked about Miyazaki films. We've talked about um, incredibly influential films like Akira. We talked about incredibly artistic films like Paprika. And now we're going to do the shameless media tie-in films. Uh, the This is a movie that is based on a manga series that is 
also an anime series that I uh, love tremendously. And I, I feel tremendously isn't a strong enough word for you. Oh, I will go in deep into my maximum tisms as to how deep I'm into this series. Should I show people on Instagram how many books you have in this collection? I'm not even caught up. But, um, yeah, it's going to be about Case Closed, uh, or Detective Conan, known internationally. And it is going to be the first Case Closed movie, the Time Bomb Skyscraper. And I'm pretty sure that's the name. There's like 20 of the Case Closed movies, so be lucky I'm giving you that one. Uh, just send me the link and we'll be good. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm excited to talk about it. This is just my excuse to talk about Case Closed, because I, I love that series. It's going to be great. All right. Well, be prepared for Case Closed next week. But if you want to listen to us on a different platform than you currently are, you can find us on Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Yeah, you can go to our YouTube channel, The Film Vault. That's The Film Vault on YouTube, where you can... Well, watch some slideshows that are our podcast. You can listen to a lot of our podcasts on there. We document everything on there, and uh, yeah. And if you want to follow us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at the Film Club Podcast. And with that, see you next week at the Film Club. Peace. <laughs>